I had recently with Gandalf um, for most of Lord of the Rings we assume he's like lawful good of some sort but the Hobbit kind of reveals that he's neutral cha chaotic good perhaps would that be fair to say why did we assume he was lawful good um, I mean maybe because I wa uh, watched and read him as a child and then now as an adult I see Gandalf just being an absolute menace uh, <laughs> especially just wrecking Bilbo's life but <laughs> I feel like even in the original Lord of the Rings movies he was considered a menace at least by the hobbits with his fireworks and just enticing the children to go on adventures you know <laughs> be, be careful children or the Gandalf will steal you away <laughs> take you to strange lands where you'll fight enemies and you won't have second breakfast no second breakfasts allowed. no tea time no comfy beds. The horror. Anyway, so that's our banter to start off. Welcome back to Mike's Millennial Falcon. Uh, once again, I am your host, Mike Linehan. And once again, joined by my beautiful and ever so gracious wife, Angela. Hello. Hello. Um, so today we are continuing our own saga of Lord of the Rings, focusing today on The Hobbit. And again, just as it seems to happen... We will be referencing the books, but more of the recent, uh, or more recent, uh, knowledge is kind of coming from the films, which, as we'll get into, to kind of take their own creative liberties. So, um, this may be a silly question, but, um, I believe I got into The Hobbit first, but my story with that is a little strange, because I don't think my grandparents were super like into fantasy and fairy tales but on their bookshelf they had the 1970 something animated version of the hobbit which i think i made you watch one time um so it was like wow this is such a great story then obviously reading the story and then seeing the movies later you're like wow this is so 70s this is so campy. I, I think the song is like, The Greatest Adventures. It, 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 very much of the time. But started the interest of uh, this poor young hobbit, or not so young hobbit, uh, dragged onto an adventure by a crazy wizard and all the uh, shenanigans that happened and heartwarming adventure from that as well. Um, so I guess in your regard, did you ever read The Hobbit or... Um, no. no, my dad had read it and had kind of described it to me, but the way that I always heard people talking about J.R.R. Tolkien's writing style was very, like, long-winded and, <laughs> um, very descriptive, so, uh, it, it, it wasn't it exactly, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't exactly enticing me to read it as a, a young reader who valued, like, fantasy action books and things like uh, all right cool we we have the uh setting for the trees I, I think we got it we can move on from there uh yeah that's fair it's actually been a while since i've read the actual writing so that seems like a fair assessment going into uh extraneous detail but um 
so yeah that's uh, kind of like my background with the hobbit itself um so starting from the top you know what the difference between the book and the films it is honestly it just kind of boils down to you know what we need to do more stuff it's not that long a book and arguably like it could have been done in one film but instead we made it three movies almost as long as the lord of the rings itself which was three books um and it all kind of boils down to more dramatic interpretations with bilbo gandalf we get to see radagast uh who had kind of been mentioned i think briefly in lord of the rings um we see uh, this rivalry with thorin and azog the orc commander um we had the white council with saruman elrond galadriel um uh, again kind of referenced in the lord of the rings but we saw more of that the necromancer aka sauron we had Legas and Tariel, the love interest who definitely was not a part of the books, but hey, why not throw that in there? Um, we had Bard, uh, who, from what I recall, he was kind of like a local respected hero. And kind of he was in the movies, but also he was disgraced because of his lineage. And we had the master of Lake Town, a.k.a. Stephen Fry, uh, and his like lackey, Alfred Lickspittle, which just sounds like a name to... Uh, for a person that you hate lick spittles Ugh. but so at, any thoughts on that before we dive into the, that because i know that we'll probably discuss some of this as it goes but d does that seem like a uh valid choice on the part of uh peter jackson and the filmmaking team to take this one book and then turn it into three yeah that I feel like was a grab for more money because of how popular it was, but I mean, I liked some of the stuff that they added. Yeah. <laughs> the quest for more money. <laughs> so, yeah, that's fair. And, uh, I mean, I suppose the same could be said for 13 Reasons Why. And, uh, yeah, turn one book into four seasons of whatever that was. Anyway, uh, I digress. That's a whole nother tangent. Um, so, as f in the realm of commentary, we already kind of mentioned Gandalf is just an absolute menace, which he kind of was in Lord of the Rings, but, like, one of our first encounters is just Bilbo out smoking a pipe, and he says, uh, good morning, Gandalf. What do you mean? Do you mean it wish me a good morning, or mean that it's a good morning whether I want it or not, or that you feel good this morning, or that it is a morning to be good on? Bro, I'm just having my well, coffee. none of the above now. <laughs> Goodbye. Leave me be, you weird, weird old man. What? <laughs> Just like starting from the top and choosing to, not choosing violence, but choosing annoyance and to be a pain in Bilbo's ass. Uh, and, you know, just all the dwarves eating him out of house and home. Like, this would have been a very different movie if it was Peter Jack, uh, not Peter Jackson, uh, Samuel L. Jackson cast as Bilbo because he would have just been, I'm tired of these motherfucking dwarves in my motherfucking house just throwing him out, giving Gandalf a kick in the ass. <laughs> like, no, it's a good thing that he decided to go on the adventure. He wouldn't have survived the winter. <laughs> because they literally cleaned out his entire... Yeah, his whole food storage was gone. <laughs> He's just trying to go to the neighbors. Could I borrow some sugar? It's like, oh, you threw this wild party with these outsiders. Oh, and now it's my fault. Now it's my fault. <laughs> 
throwing wild parties. It's like, it wasn't my fault. They showed up. And they proceeded to sing and throw my plates around. But they didn't break them. But still, just the anxiety in his eyes. And he's going, I thought that was like a funny little addition to add the song in. Because I feel like that kind of gave the dwarves a little leeway to be less grumpy. Does that make sense? Yeah, the, their most defining features seem to be like being curmudgeonly, but also goofy. Actually, if I recall correctly, the song was actually a part of the book where they're just singing about like, oh, we're pissing off Bilbo. It's fine. Let's just clean up these plates. I know, but it was de- it was a definite choice to keep it in, though. You know what I mean? Like, they could have easily cut that out. Yeah, that's fair. And there, there were definitely some who were like, this is the token grumpy guy, like Dwalin, the guy with the like the first one to show up look rather grumpy balin is you know like more like courteous to some extent and then you've got the younger ones who are just like we are chaos and you've set us free in your house (laughs) good luck um so interestingly that does lead into the next topic which i believe we i discussed a little bit but i had to go into a little bit more research so this gets into the mm, sticky category because the dwarves as Tolkien created them at least in the original book were tied with Jewish stereotypes so uh in interviews he admitted that the dwarves were based on the Jews uh their language because of course Tolkien was a huge nerd he created all these languages the dwarvish language was Semitic so it's based on Hebrew and all that um and you can see that um, especially in the movies, once um, uh, Smog comes and drives him away, you know, you have this proud people that have been driven from their home and they wander in exile, very similar to the Jews being forced out of Jerusalem, they're wandering the desert, they get enslaved in Egypt. Like It's this idea of like coming full circle and reclaiming their homeland. Um, and this sort of nomadic people that long to return home. Um but unfortunately, building off of that, there's the potential anti-Semitism. Um, for one thing, uh, it, at the beginning of time, there were certain gods that created these things and that. Um, I believe the main creator god made elves and men. Um, but dwarves were made by especially the like blacksmith god. Um, and it explains like their interest in jewels and mining and all that stuff but as such kind of implies that they're made separately and possibly inferior to the others and they're characterized by like greed and cowardice mostly the greed you know like always lusting after gold and the arkenstone and all that stuff um the interesting thing that comes from that though is uh token hated the nazis uh, and was especially angry when his German publisher asked if he was uh, Aryan, <laughs> because during the time frame. Um, and I think he got enough feedback, like, making that connection, he went like, ooh, this is bad. So when he wrote Lord of the Rings, Gimli breaks the mold. Like, there's still some of that residual characteristics, but he's more than just this two-dimensional stereotype. Um, and he serves as representative of his race rather than the outlier. And it seems to be an attempt to 
undo the negative qualities uh, he'd previously ascribed to the dwarves. So, personally, I think the films do a good job of further distancing themselves from those origins. Um, Thorne's company has a bit more depth as characters and heroes. Even Thorne's obsession with gold is portrayed more as like a side effect of the Arkenstone, similar to how the ring kind of like warps your mind, the One Ring, um, rather than an inherent dwarves quality. Um, plus, from my perspective, um, the the boisterousness and the rough around the edges seemed to be more characteristic of like the Scottish and like Irish stereotype um, and all that. Um, but with that sort of <laughs> very speed run history lesson, what do you think? Yeah, as somebody who never read the books and not necessarily having that background, I never picked up on those stereotypes. But it also could just be that I'm completely oblivious, so there's also that. I, I feel like that's not fair. We've already discussed during Detective Stories, you're the one who actually tries to solve it, and I'm like, this is just a fun ride. Well, I also don't have that cultural connection, you know what I mean? Like, if somebody, if like a Jewish person was watching the movie, they're probably going to pick up on things that I was just like, oh, that's just part of the fantasy world. Look at that <laughs> fantasy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like So fantasy. Oh my god, that fantasy. <laughs> I don't know why I'm picturing the Spongebob, like, fantasy with a little rainbow in it. <laughs> um, so, no, I did not pick up on those stereotypes, but maybe they just weren't overt enough for my non-cultured butt. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you think uh, my judgment of the Scottish and Irish uh, characteristics seem a little bit more on point? Oh, yeah, I had always assumed that, but they also gave them those accents. Right. From the very beginning, so th- it was just, of course, that's what they were. Oi, you there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pass, the, pass the ale. <laughs> that, what was that? Uh, shh, fine. Accents are not my strong suit. <laughs> okay, moving on. Yeah, I got to practice. Um, on the side note, though, just uh, in case anybody wants to know, I don't know who had the time to calculate this, but I've seen the meme a couple of times, but. Uh, uh, somebody calculated the amount of gold that Smog has in the mountain, um, and it's estimated at $51.4 billion, which means he ranks as the 15th wealthiest American. I feel like he'd be so mad about that. He, he'd be so mad about that, but I'm like, tax the rich. Yeah. <laughs> 50, even a, a literal mountain full of gold is $51 billion. Can that's we just still... get benedict cumberbatch to do an ad as smog <laughs> i am outraged by this <laughs> tax the rich <laughs> oh my goodness um on to lighter subjects um admittedly the one of the sticking points with the movies is that in the hobbit you don't know anything about sauron because i can't remember if the hobbit came first and then lord of the rings but it was never clear that Sauron was already working uh, and trying to find the ring and amass his forces. Um, afterwards, they kind of input these hints about the necromancer, you know, this mysterious sorcerer uh, in this old fortress that turns out to be Sauron, um, you know, resurrected, essentially. Um, so you get to see the actions of Gandalf and the Count. So we get to see Radagast, and you know, he's not really part of that, but we get Elrond, we get Galadriel, we get Saruman, 
who still comes across as a jackass from the get-go <laughs> long before uh, we saw his fall to um, to the dark side, I suppose. Um, so, it, it was interesting for me, I think, to see that worked in. I know is kind of like an, the quest for more money to just flesh it out more and be like, oh, here's the bad guy that everyone remembers. We'll, you know, give that little prequel and how we got started here. Um, but it was kind of interesting to see that and also the politics even amongst his like minions like the orcs and whatnot um and how they have their own agendas too and vendettas but again i guess no real opinion on that from your standpoint i feel like when i was a kid i would consistently get Saruman and Sauron confused just because their names are so freaking similar and was that ever on purpose like did they ever confirm that that is a fair point I don't think so but yes I actually very much had the problem of saying especially if you're trying to um and especially where the um Sauron did end up turning to the dark side Mm -hmm. made it all the more confusing yes the two towers, Sauron and Saruman, and, uh, you know, Sar- Saruman being like, I'll be the next big baddie, too. Yeah, and I do also feel like Radagast was not involved simply because Sauron did not want him involved. <laughs> he, like, had a very low opinion of him. <laughs> you Sauron or Saruman? The wizard. The wizard. Saruman, yes. Saruman, thank yeah, you. Yeah, see, he immediately dismissed him. He's like, he has too much love for uh, the uh, pipe weed and whatnot. He's like, yeah. he's addled his brain. And I'm like, okay, he's a hippie. Leave him be. <laughs> yeah, literally. He's still a... Aren't these the wizards? Aren't they, like, part god or something? So, interestingly, they are on par, power-wise, with Sauron. They're like... I don't know what the comparison to be would be to like traditional mythology, kind of like nymphs or something like where they're like supernatural beings, but like servants of the gods themselves, but still powerful in their own right. So, yeah. So he's still this like super powerful being. Yeah. Which is, I don't know. It just feels weird to me that he's so like discounting his efforts from the get go. Yeah. I feel like it's because he's more worried about what he would do like if Gandalf had more help yeah I don't know maybe I, th- I think he also just in the same way that Sauron doesn't take uh, Hobbit seriously is because he probably didn't really know they existed but also like oh these little people they're not a problem yeah um, they're too small to make a difference <laughs> yeah like Radagast is just whatever and I think he has a grudging respect for Gandalf at this point like they're still like uh, companions or friends I suppose but um, yeah Saruman is just dismissive and interestingly it's the elves who seem to take him a bit more seriously um, mm. and again they're kind of like powerful in their own right of the hierarchy of races and whatnot but yeah um, did I have something oh yeah uh, I think it's a little tainted by the fact of uh, I've uh, dragging Angela into the rings of power currently 
But uh, I still hold to the fact that Galadriel probably could have taken on Sauron herself. Um, even though, again, he's like a minor god of sorts and she's just an elf. Um, but when they go to rescue Gandalf, she doesn't even have a weapon. She casts some magic and then she literally is the one that more or less banishes Sauron to Mordor and sends him fleeing. Like Elrond fight and Saruman as well. But Yeah, but she almost like snuffed herself out doing that, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So right. she she could do it, but once. Yeah, I, I got I got this one. <laughs> you gotta time that just right. <laughs> right. That's fair. And I have to laugh. Um I believe um why can't I think of this? Oh, uh, Guillermo del Toro was involved with the Hobbit movies. Um, to some extent. You could see that in some of the monster designs and just aesthetics. But uh, when uh, Galadriel is super powerful, they pull out the like uh, the ring look, like uh, like the horror movie with the long dark hair and the creepy eyes. Like, I've, as I've ascended, beware. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. You scared me. I'm gonna I'm gonna go over here. I'm now. gonna leave now. I'm gonna leave now. Um. Um. Yeah. Moving on, we had Alfred Lickspittle. So, God, I hate that name so much. Lickspittle. I didn't even know he had a last name. I, I think they said it a couple of times because it's all the fellow town people uh, rebuking him. But I think he was supposed to be... God, I swear I'm awake. I'm not trying to yawn so much. Um, he was supposed to be a similar character as like Wormtongue from the Lord of Rings, you know, Saruman's uh, mm -hmm. minion. Um, but eh, I don't know. It, it was a fine line between comic relief and just annoying because he survived the destruction of lake town and he's like over dramatic dragging himself on the beach screaming like oh why me he's trying to s steal some blankets and he's being like i'm now the master of lake town in uh the absence of the master and they shut that down real quick um every chance he gets he's trying to sneak off and in the battle of five armies he dresses up as a woman fills his, the bodice i guess of the dress with gold and tries to run away and is caught at least once or twice and is barely saved once or twice and then just leaves and it's like he's hiding among the women being like no no it's okay dearie and then there it's all the women just like rolling their eyes at him so i mm, comic relief to some extent but also person yeah i never thought he was comic relief i thought he was just a source of conflict I thought that was the main main character flaw of him. Well, I think uh, comic relief in the fact of, like, he's so bad at being, like, a, a villain and an antagonist. That oh, he, oh, I understand. I don't think he viewed himself as that. I don't think it was intentional, you know, in the same way, uh, like, uh, Mary Pippin would be. But, but, like, yes, the dressing up as a woman and being all serious, like, huh, I'm gonna uh, run away as he's adjusting the bags of gold on his chest and runs away like mm, okay it's a little much but but that's my my perspective i suppose um yeah we don't need to give him more screen time uh keely and tariel i know again character didn't exist in the book in the first place and we kind of had a somewhat romance 
thing going on. Um, I don't know. I'm honestly... Yeah, it's it's complicated because there is little to no female representation <laughs> in True. The Hobbit, so having a badass female present is a nice booster when when she's not just a love interest and i feel like they did a good job of kind of like cementing her as an outsider Mm -hmm. you know i feel like that's what that love was really about it was she's been an outsider and she's been on thin ice with the elves for a while and then all of a sudden she finds a dwarf who's actually like because the elves always look down on the dwarves right right so for her to fall in love with one it's a hundred percent cementing her as an outsider to them Mm -hmm. yeah and i forget all the uh breakdowns of the different elves but she was essentially like you said an outsider um in that realm and the fact that she was interested or legolas was interested in her and his father was like yeah no you're too uh low for his blood so don't give him any uh leeway or any interest back um but i didn't hate it but like the the love started with them just being on opposite ends uh, opposite sides of the like prison door and i'm like "Eh." so i guess could we say that we didn't necessarily have a problem with toriel we had a problem with them trying to jam a love story into a story that didn't necessarily require it right and it was doomed anyway because Keeley dies at the end anyway, so we're just gonna make it a tragic love story that doesn't go anywhere. Like I guess it, it would have been a tragic love story anyway because dwarves don't nearly live as long as elves do. True, but like you could make that same argument for like Aragorn and Arwen, but it wasn't like defined by like inevitability. It was defined by love and sacrifice. Well, true, but she almost kicked the bucket in the middle of their love story, so I don't know if she just... (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's true, because he got poisoned with the arrow. Um, Yeah. Just not every movie has to have a romantic interest. Well, not in the the way of, like, a cis-heterocentric way. Mm Because, I mean, like, there was relationships that they developed very well in this movie it just didn't have to be a romantic relationship right true and i don't want to say it detracts from her badass badassery i suppose but it you know it shows her demonstrating her skills as a warrior and then she's almost relegated to just being romantic interest at some point or saving keely or just saving Keely. Just yeah. Keely's protector. Yeah. <laughs> His bodyguard, since apparently he's not very good at this. I mean, do you blame him? <laughs> um, God. It, I'm sure uh, Lord of the Rings did have some of their own one-liners, but there were a few in The Hobbit that were... that were something else. Uh, chief among those were... Uh, was uh, Legolas and Tariel scouting out... Uh, when the far armies and these bats come out and he says in all seriousness these bats were bred for one purpose war like oh yeah i know they're giant bats they are terrifying but just war bats i know 
I, when you say it like that, it sounds very like 80s Batman. <laughs> like if they had just looked at them and went, Warbats. Like that would have been worse. But I don't know. I don't hate that one liner. Like, what are, are there any other that you didn't like? That was chief among them. There were a couple lines, like uh, when Legolas um, captures the dwarves, he pulls out of um, Gloin's uh, pocket the like photos he has is like who is this uh who is this uh, terrifying creature it's like that's my wife and is and it's like and what is this a goblin child that's my son Gimli and it's like it's just the like sneer I know it was like name dropped to be like oh look they yeah. gotta be friends later. but it was like a little ham-handed and a little much uh and Though to be fair, also Legolas's father is just diva because they capture an orc who is talking about the darkness rising. Then the king beheads him. It's like I thought you would set him free. It's like and so I did. I freed his head from his shoulders. It just kicks the like twitching body. I'm like okay, uh, all right. <laughs> He's a little extra. <laughs> I mean, I also don't hate that <laughs> elves being extra as part of the package. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I think that one stuck out to me. The one-liners weren't as bad as, you know, like, 80s Batman, but they weren't great dialogue, is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. I forget, there was something else I was coming across recently, I was like, eh, dialogue could have been better, but, I mean, I can't judge. I'm terrible at writing dialogue. I talk all the time. Because we don't talk to people. What? I talk to, I talk to We need to, like, talk to more people. Oh, yeah, no, no thanks. <laughs> we need to make friends. What's that? <laughs> I have friends, thank you very much. We are also we just... We do have very good friends. <laughs> but they awkward. also put up with the way that we talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> it, it goes both ways. <laughs> um, so, okay, maybe the one-liners were terrible. Um, but, honestly... Um, I, I guess I thought I had more for The Hobbit, but um, I, it was good. <sighs> I just have a special place for The Hobbit because a, as someone who is kind of like saw Hobbits and how they live, I'm like, this is me. I don't particularly like adventures. I, this is like, I like my creature comforts. And then he gets dragged on an adventure and then he finds himself and all that. Like, there's just something about Bilbo being, you know, the ordinary person he doesn't have superpowers. He, it's not like he necessarily gets like some magical object and gets sting later on, but like, and the ring, but like he, what makes him a hero is that he rises to the occasion and proves himself. Um, and he just, um, like I enjoyed seeing more of that dynamic with Thorin's company, um, befriending all of them even thorin himself who was you know very standoffish and cynical to start um but you know working through the this these trials together um and forging these lasting friendships a fellowship of his own also i'm just remembering when they captured the the trolls captured them they wanted to cook them and bilbo says like no they've They've got parasites, oh, huge parasites, and they're like, "What parasites? What? I'll, I'll, I'll kick your ass!" Oh, what are you trying to say? And Thor's like nudging him. He's like, 
Yes, I have so many parasites. I've got parasites as big as your arm. <laughs> Full of worms, I Full am. Full of worms, I am. <laughs> Just. <laughs> but. I don't know. How did you feel about the um, dynamics with the relationships that developed and whatnot? I feel like the uh, dynamic in the relationships was very good, of course, but. I feel like Gandalf still didn't really give us a good reason for why he brought Bilbo. Mm-hmm. Um, because his explanation was like, I want to believe that there's still good in this world and this person is symbolic of that good and that's why I brought him. And it's kind of like, so you theoretically could have mm-hmm. picked anybody. Mm-hmm. But you well, chose Bilbo. Yes, I think it, he had like a, he was kind of like a local legend in the Shire too, where he would pop up from time to time with his fireworks and whatnot. Um, and I believe it's implied that he knew like Bilbo's like ancestors and whatnot, or had seen Bilbo as a child. Um, and that's like one of the first things he says after like all the like. Um, the meeting in Back End is that like what happened to the bright-eyed uh, young hobbit I used to know who would want to go on adventures which my answer would be like he grew up uh, <laughs> that's what children do it's you know a little hard to uh, fault him for that um, but I think he has just a special place in his heart for hobbits and he think he knew that um, some of uh, Bilbo's ancestors were some of the more adventurous ones and were known for kind of being outsiders in their own right. The 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 gossip of the town being like, oh, those people, they they went and fought goblins. Oh, yeah, and I can appreciate that, but I also feel like he took he took a risk, he took a big risk mm-hmm. based on somebody's heritage, right. And I, I think they kind of, like, shoehorn that into the story, too. It's like, uh, the reason why we need this guy is, uh, well, you've got 13. 13 is an unlucky number, so we need a 14th person to, uh... And I mean, like, he did kind of help the dynamic of the party and, like, keep people positive and, like... Mm-hmm. But, like, he didn't actually have the skill set. Right. So, I don't know. That was the only thing that always was kind of, like, odd to me, but... I understand for the story why. Mm-hmm. I also realize how dumb I am when uh, it's him versus Gollum doing their riddles. And I was like, I am not good with riddles. I would, I would have been eaten on like the second oh, one. <laughs> yeah, no, just would have handed Gollum a crossword and called it a day. <laughs> We've been What's in my a... pocket? That's that's not a riddle. <laughs> that's cheating. It's just a question. Yes. Uh, And I think in the book, he actually goes on a tangent, like, it breaks the fourth wall a moment. It's like, now, people have uh, analyzed this moment and admitted that technically Bilbo did break the rules of engagement. It was not a riddle. (laughs) It was cheating. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. But I I enjoyed seeing uh, warming up to the rest of the company and something I kind of wish they had in the movie was he has the final farewell at Lonely Mountain and he walks back with Gandalf 
Uh, and we kind of see him barge back into his home where they're trying to sell all his stuff because they thought he was dead. And he's like, oh, you just left. He's like, nope, this is mine. This is mine. Stop taking my plates. Um, and then it fast forwards to the modern times where Lord of the Rings picks up. Um, but in the book, there's, a, you know, time passes and there's at least one point where Balin shows back up on his doorstep for tea and they just have dinner and whatnot. And I, I thought that would have been nice to just show that, like, it wasn't like a final farewell. Like, yes, it's like half a world away, um, but it wasn't just this one time thing um, creating these uh fellowship and then just kind of like falling away that these it would have been really them. funny if they had that as like an epilogue and like he opens the door and it's balling and he just closes it again <laughs> <laughs> nope not again not today i yes. am too old mm-hmm. god i would also still just be so mad at gandalf be like you did this you did this you brought all these people to my house <laughs> yeah yeah, so I guess that seems a little anticlimactic. I didn't have a, anything else to say about The Hobbit um, besides the fact of like it's kind of like a classic that I've enjoyed. Um, and yeah, it, it was just interesting to see uh, the story as it was fleshed out. Also, it's just always the eagles coming through in the clutch um, in the, at the last possible moment just oh yeah didn't you say they're also like divine creatures well yes kind of they're i mean they're enormous eagles but they're also um representatives of um manwe who's kind of like the like father figure of the gods or the head god but he's not like the creator god it's it's kind of complicated that way it's like we had god that created everything and then we made little gods so now we still have a pantheon but yes they're representative of like one of the head honchos like zeus kind of ah so they i think um they had to explain that in the story being like yes they're they're known for being uh staying out of uh, the affairs of others being kind of fickle because otherwise all of these stories would have been solved in like two days because like oh we need to get to Lonely Mountain the eagles would uh, fly you there it'd be like calling a pegasus down from the sky being like hey yeah can you can you get me somewhere yes oh we need to get to Mordor the eagles will just fly you there and drop you in like it's a military operation <laughs> They're basically just like, I am a god, you peasant. <laughs> I have better things to do. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. So, it was it, it, overall not a bad movie production. I was, As time has gone on, I did appreciate it more. Um, there was the moment right before Thorne joins the battle at the end where... Uh, he's having some hallucination about the gold and he's being swallowed up by it. It's like, ah, eh, that felt a little hokey to me, but I've, I've grown to appreciate it as time has gone on. Um, and yeah, I also, I know that they had to go with a different actor um, from Ian Holm, I think, was Bilbo in The Fellowship of the Ring and all that. Um, 
so they cast Martin Freeman, but I just I got a special place in my heart for Martin Freeman. I think I first saw him in Sherlock, um, and then seeing him in like Black Panther and all that. Just isn't that the running joke? He's always being kidnapped to go on an adventure that he doesn't want to be on. <laughs> Though I think in Sherlock he he wasn't so much kidnapped, kidnapped as he's like, like I'm a secret adrenaline ju- junkie and uh I have a problem. I also need a place to live. Yes. And I need to keep this man-child in check because he keeps getting into trouble. <laughs> but yeah, so overall, uh, I was happy with the Hobbit, um, and yeah, <laughs> I feel like that kind of wraps up my thoughts. So um, the hope is that there will be one more episode in this series um, to touch upon. Rings of Power and the Silmarillion, possibly. Um, though I think I might be one of the few people <laughs> that I know that's actually read the Silmarillion, or it's also been. Ooh, I read that in middle school, so that's uh, if I'm doing the math, way longer than I want to calculate. So, um, <laughs> um but that will be potentially the last in the Lord of the Rings saga that we talk about. Um, so yeah, I guess I will leave it there for today. Any uh, parting thoughts? Gandalf is a menace. Gandalf is a menace. TM. The best menace. <laughs> the best menace. <laughs> All right, so we will leave it there for today. I uh, want to thank you once again for listening to Mike's Millennial Falcon. I've been Mike Linehan with Angela, and catch you next time. <laughs>